Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part two of my conversation with Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry from the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. Colleen is the founder and longtime executive director of the nearly 20-year-old center, focused on providing access to high-quality mental health services for children and adolescents. Karen is a licensed clinical social worker and mental health consultant for CCR. A 30-year veteran in the field, Karen provides training, consultation, and expertise for schools and school systems, as well as out-of-school time community and youth-serving organizations to build the capacity of adult educators and caregivers around trauma-informed and healing-centered systems and practices, a capacity that ultimately underpins effective teaching and learning and positive youth development. I think we've come to understand that this trauma that's out there in our communities is impacting all of these very critical things that we all need to be aware of for learning. And I think what we found is that there's a a missing element, which is understanding what the impact of chronic exposure to trauma really looks like and how many places it manifests itself. And so we've really been able to shift and think about trauma as something that's endemic, something that's impacting many, many people. It's not impacting all of us in the same ways. But if we understand that all of us have some stressful events, others are having toxic levels of stress and others are having truly traumatic experiences. And if we start to think about how that manifests itself and how we modify our practices in how we welcome students, how we create our classrooms and how we teach them, I think that's where we've started to really see a shift. Here in part two of our conversation, Colleen, Karen, and I talk about the work that CCR does in both the in-school and out-of-school spaces, including helping schools establish comprehensive behavioral health teams. And we talk about the widespread and long-lasting impacts of trauma and the work of CCR to build capacity to implement trauma-informed practices. Previously in part one of our conversation, we talked about the state of mental health among young people today including the many societal forces affecting it, the origins of the Center for Childhood Resilience, and the reasons for taking on the role of adult capacity building rather than direct student mental health services, and some of the aspects of mental health specific to young adolescents. Part one is now available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's part two of my conversation with Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry. Well, let's talk more about the capacity building of adults, such as teachers. We'll we'll talk about um, out of school time professionals as well. But let's start in school if we can. A lot of people might think that you know, to the degree that schools address mental health needs, aside from as you mentioned, Karen, broadly doing a good job in providing safe and nurturing learning environments, that it's the school counselor or the social worker or maybe the nurse who takes that responsibility. You all have created a model that helps schools really address the mental health needs more comprehensively and more collaboratively. Um, tell us a little bit about the this behavioral health team model and how you sort of create the structures within schools to 
to, to work on this more in a more integrated fashion. So the behavioral health team model is something that we have been working on and developing in partnership with the Chicago Public Schools for about the last 15 years. And really what the idea is, is exactly what you said, which is teachers need to be equipped with both what they can do in the classroom and also to know that if they have a student who's being challenged, that there's a place to go where they can say, I need more support to help this child be successful. And what we learned when we started this work was there's a lot of meetings that happen in schools about processes and procedures and strategies, but there's often not very many places in schools where we actually have a chance to talk about those students that are challenging our skill level or that we don't feel like we're meeting their needs. So what we originally created, we called it the care team, and we were working in some very high need schools in Chicago. Um, And so what we did is we really started thinking about How do we identify those kids who are struggling as soon as possible and then link them to the appropriate services in schools? And so how the model developed was over time, really thinking about who are the right set of adults to be meeting regularly once a week? What does the referral form look like? What is it that we are asking teachers to identify? And so we really highlighted that it was asking teachers to say, who is a student that you've tried everything in your toolbox, but you feel like that child is still not meeting their expectations or you're not getting them to be successful or that you have particular concerns about their learning, their behavior, their emotions, their peer relations, or even just coming to school. And so we started developing this model where there was a request for um, assistance from the teacher to this team that would look at this list of students, go through what the teacher was identifying and asking for, but then also pull up their grades, get to see does anyone else in the building have a relationship with the student what do we need to do to figure out what's happening with this student and then can we as a group of adults identify a resource to help that student be successful in the school or in collaboration with community partners who might already be coming into the schools so in the behavioral health team model you basically take that referral form you take that child's individual data and you look and map against what you have in the building both from your own staff and around you and connect kids to services. And the goal is that every kid who comes to the team gets a good screening to figure out what's actually contributing. We get adults to put the information. We often have little different pieces of the puzzle of what's happening. So you get people to put that together, come up with a plan, and then you meet regularly to see if that plan is working and you link kids to services that way. What that tends to do then is to allow you to develop a set of What are the gaps in your building? It is now the goal of the district to have what's called a behavioral health team, very similar in every single school across the city. And the reason that that is so important is that not every school has the extra resources that those original schools had. So we've also had to shift and think about what is it, you know, what, how do we modify this model so that we really make sure the teachers have all the skills they need. And what we've seen is over time, we've really been able to see this model change outcomes. We see many more kids being identified earlier, getting connected to services. We see schools really starting to move away from the, this this issue is not my problem, not like hand this off to the social worker, but instead, what do I do in the classroom? But also, who else do I need to connect with this child to help them be successful? We're big believers here that young adolescent learning development doesn't just happen on K-12 school campuses. Students engage in lots of structured and unstructured activities outside school. You, I think, have a similar view about mental health. 
you do a fair bit of work in out-of-school time in the community programs. Just talk about that part of your work, if you could. Thinking about kids' social and emotional mental health, um, we want we want to do that in in all spaces and places, and and all realms of their existence. And we have had the the privilege of being able to to work with uh, out of school time professionals. We've engaged in a partnership with the Girl Scouts of Greater Chicago and Northwest Indiana over the last four or five years, which started out as a very specific effort to support one program within that council to become more trauma-informed in their, in their service delivery. This was a program that um, kind of brought traditional Girl Scout troop processes into an after-school setting. And so through over the course of, I would say, three years, through a series of trainings of what they called facilitators, so the adults who were leading the girls in these after-school processes, over several trainings around trauma. What, what is trauma? What is resiliency? What, are the, what does it take to develop a lens, a trauma lens, so that when we are looking at youngsters' behavior, um, we are not asking what's wrong with this kiddo, but what's happening with this kiddo that is contributing to you know, behaviors that might be considered problematic or challenging, for example. Um, what do, again, what am I doing as a facilitator or a leader that may be contributing to the well-being or may be interfering with the well-being of, of a youngster? How can I take that and incorporate what I'm learning into my leadership in these, in these spaces? Something that we are very big on at CCR, which is ongoing learning and connection through professional learning communities or what we call supported implementation we continue to work with, um, in this case, these facilitators to bring back in, in real time. So what's happening? What's happening with the work that you're doing with girls? And how can we support you um, as you bring both successes and challenges in your day-to-day, month-to-month work? How can we support you to continue to implement um, you know, that learning that we've done together into your practice? And so we did that with this program within the Girl Scouts Council. And that led to um, an interest in the council to actually create a pillar of a trauma-informed organization for them. What we have done is over the course of time providing this ongoing support, we have kind of helped create a foundation now for this council that they are now taking on themselves without our concerted efforts on a monthly basis to, to be with them. And this is really a lot of the, uh, what we are trying to do, I think, in most of our work, whether it's in schools or out of schools, as we create the, pa- the capacity for learning, for knowledge, for implementation, whether it be around school-based mental health or in this case, trauma-informed and trauma-responsive practices, we hope to, to make our jobs um, unnecessary moving forward. So that's one example of, of some of the work that we have done most recently in the out-of-school time space. That's great. That's a great example. I want to learn more about, about this work around trauma, and I, and I want to set it up in this way. You know, we can think about the direct trauma that many young people face as a function of poverty, you know, whether it's in the home or in communities or at school. But I think it's fair to say that trauma runs deeper, especially in marginalized communities, our very first episode of this podcast two years ago was with Joanna Lee Williams, who's a scholar and professor out of Rutgers University. And she had just come out with some research on the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. 
And we talked about this concept of bias-motivated violence and how this has broad effects, not just on the direct victims of the violence, but on people who associate with those victims, whether it's by race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, other identities. And we've been littered, it seems, and, and Karen, you mentioned the social media and, and how what, what young people are exposed to. All this news of bias-motivated violence. You can think of George Floyd's murder, the shooting at Club Q in Colorado, there's the mass killing in the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh a few years ago, on and on and on. Young people and adults who are witnessing this, even if they aren't direct victims, nevertheless are traumatized by these events because they associate so closely with those who are directly affected. First, I guess, is it fair to cast the issue of trauma in that way? And then just say a little bit about how CCR thinks about trauma and what your approach is in helping educators and youth workers address trauma. I think it's important to recognize that in the school mental health field, trauma is something that's come on in the last 15 to 20 years as critical. Prior to that, there was a big focus on school mental health. There was a big focus on social emotional learning. But what I think was perhaps lacking was the idea that there's something else that's impacting kids that can very easily be labeled as a learning disability, as a psychiatric disorder, you know, all kinds of things, problems with attendance that we were not addressing. And that was exposure to these traumatic events, whether they be the original ACEs or the things that happen in families or the more chronic community level stress and trauma, or what we're learning now even more is what about the long-term multi-generational traumas of things like racism. So what's happened is over time, these two areas of work have started to be blended. And I think for me personally, one of the things that happened was as we were trying to get educators to think about SEL, for example, and teaching kids social emotional learning skills, one of the things that we didn't focus on enough at first was why why this was so important. We talked a lot about why it was important for the kids. But what's come to happen, I think, in the last 10 to 15 years is this realization that the why has to do a lot with what it is that kids are experiencing and adults are experiencing. So we've shifted from just SEL skills being focused on kids to SEL skills being focused on the kids and the adults. And once you try to look at why is it that folks that want to do good work or want to be successful. These kids come to school every day and they want to be good kids. They want to be that kid of the week. They want all of those things, but something's getting in the way. I think we've come to understand that this trauma that's out there in our communities is impacting all of these very critical things that we all need to be aware of for learning. And I think what we've found is that there's a, a missing element, which is understanding what the impact of chronic exposure to trauma really looks like and how many places it manifests itself. And so we've really been able to shift and think about trauma as something that's endemic, something that's impacting many, many people. It's not impacting all of us in the same ways, but if we understand that all of us have some stressful events, others are having toxic levels of stress and others are having truly traumatic experiences and if we start to think about how that manifests itself and how we modify our practices in how we welcome students, how we create our classrooms and how we teach them, I think that's where we've started to really see a shift. We created a platform um, when the pandemic was 
just starting to impact. And we were hearing a lot about how educators were struggling to understand the needs of their students on the other side of a screen. We put that platform up with information on trauma and we had a thousand educators log on in the first couple months and now we have over 7,000. So clearly there's a need that educators are saying, I need more support to do this work effectively and well. And I believe that if we can do this, we can really change the engagement with faculty, staff, educators, and people who work in these settings, as well as the outcomes for kids. There are structures and systems that are in our um, country and have been around for a very, very long time are absolutely traumatizing to uh, individuals and to communities, to whole communities. Oppression can be a very traumatizing thing. And so while we do our, our best to support educators in the way that Colleen was just talking. I think one of the things that we are learning and growing in our efforts to do is also to address to the level that we have the capacity to, um, given the scope of our work, the structures and the systems that are part of the root cause of what kids and adults are experiencing. You know, policies and practices need to change. I think we must incorporate the understanding how the way certain systems and structures have been developed are inequitable for certain adults in those systems and certain students in, in those systems. Finally, what's one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation based on your work, building the capacity of educators and youth workers to address the mental health needs of adolescents, things that you'd like educators both in school and in after school and summer programs to know or be able to do, what would those be? What I would say is perhaps kind of an iteration of, of something that I talked about earlier, and that is, you know, when, when I think about education and the role of education, it really is to prepare young people to be thriving adults, right? Um, so productive in, in the world, well, <laughs> safe, satisfied and contented as much as possible. And so the role is more than the book learning that we're teaching kids. And so what I would like is for educators to increasingly embrace that part of the role of educating is to integrate, you know, what are the needs of the whole child, an overused phrase, I know, but what are, what are those needs? And the fact that academic learning that is available to a youngster internally is going to be limited by the extent to which that youngster is feeling safe and feeling well and his or her mental health needs are being addressed. And so is it complicated and complex? Absolutely. But it is a part of education. And so I would just want us to work together to in increase our, our understanding of, of what education really is all about and see how we can work together to really look at the entire child in the work that we're doing uh, so that we can support them to thrive in whatever path they choose once they leave us. Well, Colleen, Karen, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about one of the most important topics of our time. Thanks for the work you and your colleagues at CCR are doing, and, and thanks for sharing some of that with us. It's been a delight talking with you both. Thank you so much, Jason. We really appreciate you having us today. Take care. That was Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry from the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. You can learn more about CCR online at childhoodresilience.org or on Facebook and Twitter at LurieCCR. 
Remember, you can look out for part one of my conversation with Colleen and Karen, which is out now, on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, I interviewed Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin from the University of Chicago. Alex Usher is Associate Director for Data Research at the University of Chicago's To and Through Project and Senior Research Analyst for the UChicago Consortium on School Research. Alex Seaskin is Director of the To and Through Project, which is housed at the UChicago Urban Education Institute. UChicago's Consortium on School Research and the To and Through Project have been at the forefront of research into data that can determine whether students in elementary, middle, and high school are on track for on-time graduation and successfully transitioning into post-secondary options. And I think the other thing that is sort of powerful for middle grade educators especially, but really for all educators, is just how much the research shows that GPA and attendance are malleable. And I think people get really fixated on test scores for good reason. They've been part of accountability systems. They're easy to measure and to track, but they're really, research has shown, not super malleable. Yeah, as kids, test scores change across time a little bit here and there at the edges, but GPAs really are much more open to that movement and I think are more of a place of where people feel a little bit more agency, like, yes, I can help my students unlock ways to get better grades or ways to, you know, be more successful in their classes, more so than moving those test scores. And at the end of the day, we find it's more predictive in research that the consortium has done in the past that GPA and attendance are actually better indicators than test scores. You can listen to both parts of my conversation with Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org or learn more about the founding partner organizations, the University of Virginia's Youth Next Center on the web at education.virginia.edu slash youth-nex, or on Twitter at youth underscore next, and the Association for Middle-Level Education on the web at amle.org or on Twitter at amle. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.